Good morning, church. How's everybody? Glad you're here this morning. Gary, don't forget the audio on the video thing we're going to do. I just want to remind you. Thank you. Um, So we're going to do a little audience participation this morning before we begin. I would invite everyone to stand. Everybody, please stand up. This won't take very long, but we're going to do a little unscientific survey with the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. And not so much with the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, just with the whole thing of going to church, okay? So if you have become a Christian or have just started going to church within the last 10 years, would you please be seated? Okay, that's cool. Handful of it. If, you become, if you've been going to church for the last 20 years or more, would you be seated? Only 20 years. Only 20 Okay, if you're under the age of 20, go ahead and sit down. All right, because you hadn't been here that long, right? Now, if you have been going to church for 30 years or less, go ahead and have a seat. Now, I want you to look around at this church. Some of you guys have been going to church a long time. Now, I'm not going to get into the 40, 50, 60 years because I don't want to embarrass anybody because some of us are older enough, you know, that we know what it's like. All right, now, I I want those of you who are standing right now, I want you to think just a moment with me about something very important. Do you remember what it was like going to church 40 years ago? Do you remember what it was like? Some of you are a little bit older. Do you remember what it was like being a part of a church, especially, I'm going to use this specifically, especially the Church of Christ. Do you remember being a part of the fellowship of the Church of Christ 40, 45, some of you 50, 55 years ago? Any of you remember what that was like? Now, the reason I ask that question is because our conversation this morning is all about remembering who you are. We're going to go back in time just a little bit today. And we're going to look at some things and consider some things and think about some things and think about the way things used to be. And then consider how they are today. And I want you to draw up on those memories, those of you who are still standing. And those of you who are sitting, I want you to look around at the... The senior citizens among us (laughs) who have been around a long time in churches. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Senior citizens among us. Hey, senior saints. How about that? Is that good? All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you for participating in that very unscientific experiment. But I want you to recognize something. Two-thirds of this church have been in church for over 40 years. That's significant. But I want you to think about this. Is the church the same today as it was 40 years ago? Or some of you can go back 45, 50, 60 years. You've been around that long and that's okay. And God bless you and I thank you from the very bottom of my heart for you being here that long. Because if you hadn't been around that long, uh, I wouldn't be here. My story goes back to Pontiac, Michigan. I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Lived there six weeks. My family decided it'd be better if we lived in Michigan. <laughs> that's really not the truth. All of their, my dad's family are all up there. My wife's, I mean my mom's family are all up in Michigan. So we moved back to Michigan when I was six weeks old. And there's this little lady, and I promise you, I don't even remember, remember her name. I want to say it was Mary, but I know that's not her name because my mother corrected me at her funeral and said, that's not your great-grandmother's name. I only knew her as Granny. That's a great Southern expression to one's great-grandmother. Granny Pepper is what I knew her as. She was about this tall. Seriously, she was shorter than any person in this church. Now, she didn't used to be, but arthritis had hit her back so bad that she, was kind of, she walked like this and she could see her shoes all the time. But she was, she was the pillar and the rock for Christ in my mother's family. 
As a child, she grew up in a little town called Capshaw, Alabama, which is close to Athens, Alabama, which is close to Huntsville, Alabama, and I'm getting closer to cities that you might actually recognize. And she was, she was the daughter of sharecroppers. And there was a little Church of Christ in Capshaw, Alabama that's still there. They're in a different building today, but they're still in Capshaw, and they still have about 45 or 50 people that show up on Sundays for services. But that was the beginning of my family's venture into walking with God. When all the family moved to Michigan after World War II to work in the factories, like so many did from the South, my grandmother migrated with them, my great-grandmother. And as a result of her influence in my mom and my dad's life, they became Christians at what used to be the Perry Street Church of Christ in Pontiac, Michigan, which is no longer even there. It became the University Church of Christ, University Drive Church of Christ, which is no longer even there. And as a result of my dad becoming a Christian at the University Drive Church of Christ, he was baptized by Boyd Glover. And I'm using these names because maybe some of you might know one of these names. I just want you to hear some heritage. He was baptized by Boyd Glover in probably 1963, maybe 64. But as a result of that, my dad decided that he needed to give his life and heart and soul to Christ, and he wanted to become a preacher. So we went over to the Sylvan Lake Church of Christ, where Brother Glenn Mallott was the preacher. And Glenn started a little preaching school with about five or six men from that church. They met every Tuesday and Thursday night for about 18 months, maybe two years. And every Tuesday and Thursday night, my dad would go to preacher's training class with Glenn Mallott. And out of the six men that went to that little preacher's training thing, four of them ended up being ministers of the gospel for the rest of their lives. My dad was one of them. And I could tell you story after story after story of Bible studies and experiences that I saw and witnessed with my own eyes and my own body. I was physically there. I remember, some of you will recognize this term, I remember Jewel Miller film strips. Any of you remember those? I could almost sing all the songs in those, and I still love those songs. I love to tell a story. Will be my theme. That's a beautiful song. I remember those film strips. That's how my mom and dad came to understand who Jesus was. And as a result of studying with Boyd Glover and one of the other elders at the church at Perry Street, my mom and dad obeyed the gospel. I went through all of that. And some of you lived through experiences very, very similar to that. But here's the rub. And here's the challenge for us in the 21st century, 2016. Here we are, September the 18th, 2016. Here's the rub. I'm afraid that we have forgotten who we are. And our conversation this morning for the next few minutes is going to be to try to reinstill within us again the ability to remember who we are. And I want to introduce this topic by sharing with you one of the coolest videos about remembering that I think you'll ever see. And some of you will recognize it. Some of you may not have seen this yet. If you don't have any grandkids, you may not have seen this. But if you have grandchildren, you've probably seen this. You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive. And I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. Don't dog me! Hurry up! Hey, whoa! 
wait, wait. Come on. Come on! Would you slow down? That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. like the winds are changing. Ah, change is good. Yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. You see? So what are you going to do? First, I'm gonna take your stick. No, 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 no! Not your stick! Hey! Where are you going? I'm going back! Good! Go on! Get out of here! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so, can you remember who you are? There's a lot of stuff that's in that video. And the sermon is not just about a Disney flick, but I want to share some things with you about who we are because the reality is all of us were made in the image of God. Genesis 1, verse 27, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. We are all made in the image of God. The more and more scientists discover how molecules work, I shared this with you the last time I spoke, the more and more they discover the intricacies of science, the more and more they admit there's something out there that's greater than us. 
Do you remember who you are? See, we all start in the image of God. We all do that. But the reality is the world has caused us to buy into the, to the fact that we can do whatever we want to do. And as a result, guess what? We all sin. Since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there and they were tricked and deceived into the lives of Satan, they ate the fruit, they did all the wonderful things that caused us to all be guilty of sin. There's none who is righteous. There's no, not even one. The Old Testament and the New Testament both tell us that there's none of us who are righteous. There's no one, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So where does that leave us? What does it leave us with when we finally come to the realization that, hey, guess what? We're all messed up. Some of you will remember the name of the book that came out in the 60s. It was entitled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Any of you remember that? Well, that's a nice book. And the reality is, I'm okay, you're okay, but that's only true if we're in Christ. Because if we're not in Christ, guess what? We're not okay. And that used to be a passion that we had as a church. If you remember back in the day, we had a passion for being desiring and wanting and, and longing to go out into the world and tell people, hey, if you're in Christ, you're okay. But if you're not in Christ, guess what? You're probably not okay. And we need to have a conversation. But we lost some of the fervor. We lost some of the zeal. And I sometimes wonder, what happened to us? I have a very simple idea what happened. Maybe it's just my opinion, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, but the reality is we came into a world where everyone wanted to feel okay. We came into a world, we came into a theology, a philosophy of life that says, oh, by the way, don't tell anyone they're not okay because we don't want to prejudge anything or prejudge anyone and we don't want to pass any judgment on something because after all, the Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged. The problem with that is, is it leaves us short of the cross. Because bringing someone to an understanding of the fact that they need Jesus for salvation is not judging. It's opening their eyes to the reality of what eternity is all about. It's not judgment. It's hope. And it's promise. And it's the internal peace and joy that comes from knowing that we're in Christ. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. So you see, God had a plan from the very, very beginning, even before He created the world. Once He put us here, He knew that if we messed up and if we bought into the lies of Satan, who'd already been cast out of the world of heaven, if, since He was already here, God decided to give us a choice. And we chose the wrong color pill. But God had a plan. And He's always had a plan. And that plan comes in the name and the personhood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to give us to give us hope. So the response of our lives, the response of mankind is simply this. What should we do? As Peter preached that sermon, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon those men, he stood before those thousands of people and he proclaimed to them the name of Jesus, who was the true Messiah, who was the one that had been born into the world as a man, who lived the perfect life, who was crucified by those who didn't like his message, who was raised after three days, who has ascended into heaven, and he's here to proclaim the message. And the response of the people who heard that was, what shall we do? And the words of Peter are very clear. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the message is simple. The message is simple. 
It isn't complex. It isn't as I'm okay, you're okay. It isn't the philosophies of the world. The message is very, very simple. All of us have sinned. And we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter what world, what culture, what religion, what philosophy, what anything in the world is all about. Every single community of people across the whole globe, from here to wherever, has an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And when we violate one another, when we cross over to live lives that are wrong, we know it. And our conscience convicts us. And we know that it is wrong. What is there about a child? What is there about a two-year-old or a three-year-old child who really doesn't know what is right or wrong? What is it about them when a parent looks at them because they've done something and the parent says, no? Why is it that a child will more often than not sulk down and bow his head and look to the ground because he or she knows they've done something wrong? Where does that come from? It comes from God who gave us that ability. And so our message in the church is a simplistic message of, guys, we're all messed up. I'm not okay, and you're not okay. Because all of us have fallen short of what God intended for us to truly be when He created us. And we've all done things that are wrong. It's a simple message. The response, and the only response, that truly gives eternal peace and eternal hope is the message of Jesus. And that was our message for a long time in the churches. That was our message. But I'm afraid that we've forgotten what our basic message should be. It used to be that we were compelled on the inside, we ourselves, those of us who were in churches week in and week out, we were compelled to go to our neighbors and to the highways and the byways, if I can borrow an expression from the Bible. And we would go into the highways and the byways and we would encourage people to have a conversation with us and we would talk with them about the message of Jesus, which is a simple message. And once we've accepted that message, it becomes imperative that we realize that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God. Don't you know that? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So the real question is, for us, can we remember how to honor God with our bodies? And I'm not talking about what you eat or don't drink or what you don't drink or do drink or what you eat or don't eat. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about are we honoring God with our bodies by being ambassadors of Christ? I know a few people who have gone to work with the federal government. There was a young man who used to go to church with me when I preached in Atlanta he became a member of the Secret Service. You guys heard of that? It's a secret. But when they were doing the background check on this young man, I got a letter and a phone call from the Secret Service because I was the preacher in the church where this young man had grown up for a number of years. And they wanted my insights into him as a person. They wanted to know a little bit about his ethical persuasions 
and his understanding of right and wrong. They wanted to know anything and everything about him. They were looking for dirt. They were looking for the good stuff, but more importantly, they were looking for potential bad stuff. And they were trying to gather a body of evidence that would either allow him to continue with the appointment to become a Secret Service agent, or that would disqualify him as being a Secret Service agent. One of the two. Didn't matter where it came down, but they were looking for a body of evidence to either allow him to serve or disallow him. So my question for you is simply this. Is there enough evidence in your life, if we were to send out letters and memos and make phone calls to those who are your closest friends and acquaintances, those with whom you grew up as a kid, those who are your closest compadres today, whether it's a work or a neighbor, whomever it might be, is there enough evidence to allow you to be in the service or not? Do they know enough about you to know that you are a believer or not? Do they know about, enough about your convictions and your faith in Christ to say, yes, he is, she is a Christian? Oh, I'm, I didn't know that. Another guy. Won't tell you names or phone numbers or anything, but I have them in my telephone. A little situation came up in town. Got a phone call one day, went out to meet some folks, had lunch with some guys. This guy was a developer. He was buying property, and they were going to build a big planned community with the golf course and everything. Come to find out, he was trying to buy some property from a guy that went to church with me. And he was telling me the story about this particular piece of property, and he mentioned this gentleman's name, and I'm like, oh, I know that guy. He's like, really? How do you know him? Oh, he goes to church with me. And it, you would have thought that I had shot the man because the look of amazement came over his face. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I'm serious. He goes to church with me. Why do you ask? He's like, man, if he's the kind of people that go to church with you, I don't want to go to church, your church. Quite an indictment, yes? Is there enough evidence out there about your life that someone would know that you are a Christian. I'm not necessarily offering that all of us should walk around with the Bible in our pocket or something and we quote scripture every other sentence in our conversation. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I am suggesting we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And God has called us to be his people. If we are believers, if we are Christians, at what point in our lives do we take that hat off and put on another hat? And I would suggest to you that we never take the hat off. We wear it always. And so how does that season our conversation? How does that guide our conversation? If you go back with me in history, if you think about who we used to be, those of you who've been around for 40 plus years, you'll remember there were a lot of us in the church, if you'll remember, there were a lot of us in the church who spent an enormous amount of time having conversations, doing Bible studies, encouraging people to come to church with us and, and encouraging them to sit down with us and let's talk about their place with God in Christ. And I just wonder 
if we can recapture some of that spirit. Jesus gave us marching orders. He gave us his command. Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Those are our marching orders. Those are our responsibilities now. Jesus only had one plan. Us. That's it. Us. I told you a little bit about my heritage in the church, where it came from. Granny Pepper, the little bitty lady from Capshaw, Alabama, who had a heart for Jesus and who would not stop talking to my mother and dad. She would not stop talking. Now, she was my mom's grandmother. She was annoying at times. I know she was. And I'm sure that my folks were tired of hearing the, the same old question. Ray, Francis, why don't you go to church with me on Sunday? I'm sure they got tired of hearing that. I have no doubt. But what are the consequences if she had never asked the questions? What happens to people when we don't invite them to consider who Jesus is? However you want to consider it. Maybe it's coming to church. Maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's just, hey, have you read this lately? Have you seen this lately? I don't know where your world will take you. But what are the consequences if we say nothing? And we leave people to fend for themselves. So my question is, do you remember who you are? Over the last several weeks, Jason in his sermons has talked about reaching out ministry, mission, our purpose, and being a church. Why are we even here as a church? Why do we come here? What is this thing all about? And there really is only one answer. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about our relationship with Christ. And it's about our desire, our longing, our intent, our purpose to reach others with the message of Jesus. It's that simple. Now I know, if you look back over the last 20, 30, 40 years, I know we've made some mistakes. And as Rafiki said in the little video clip that I showed you earlier, so what, it's in the past. You can either repeat it or you can learn from it. Which would you rather do? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I would love to see us repeat the past because we grew amazingly just a generation or two ago. And it's because we had a whole group of men and a group of women and, and those of you who are under the age of 20, even a group of young people who are actively engaged and actively seeking out and actively purposefully talking to people on a consistent and regular basis about, hey, guess what I found? So where does that leave your heart? Now, I would venture a guess that some of us who are what I would lovingly refer to as old timers, we're like, yes, Ed, preach it, preach it, preach it, baby. Come on, bring it, bring it. And those of us who are not quite there, who haven't experienced that, are like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. I believe with all of my heart that people are the same today that they were 40 or 50 years ago. Solomon said it best when he said, there's nothing new under the sun. 
People still have the same concerns today that they had 50, 60, 70 years ago. They have the same. They need to have security for their life. They need to know that they can provide for their families. They need to have those who are around them that they can love. And the amount of stuff that you have and the things that you got and the assets that you hold aren't anything when you're lying on your deathbed and you know that your time is very, very near. They mean nothing then. People have not changed. What has changed, what has changed is our conviction to the message of Jesus. Because people are the same. I was chatting with Jason Friday morning about what I was going to share, and, and he says, so what do you think about this whole post-Christian thing? And I'm like, I don't buy it. I don't believe that there is a thing called post-Christendom. What I believe is we have churches who have forgotten who we are. Because people are the same. People are the same. And I believe that to be true because you and I, if we did any kind of, I mean, if we took like 38 seconds and typed in in our little phones that are smarter than the rocket ships that took men to the moon, in about 38 seconds we could pull up closest megachurch. And let me tell you a secret. They didn't become a megachurch because they have good music. Let me say that again. They didn't become a megachurch because they have good music. They didn't become a megachurch because they have a great preacher. I've heard some of them. So have you. They're not the best preachers in the world. They're really not. And the closest megachurch to us over here at, at uh, Saddleback, Rick Warren will tell you straight up, I'm not that great of a preacher. But you know what changed people's lives? You know why they became megachurches? Because someone and their community connected with someone else with the simple message of Jesus. Because the message of Jesus is one of joy and peace and forgiveness and love and service and kindness and brotherly kindness. You see, that's the message. It's not the service. It's not the music. And I know we don't really struggle with this so much here, but it's not even the translation of the Bible that you're reading. That's not it at all. It's Jesus. So my question for us is, can we remember who we are? We are the children of God. We are created in His image, and praise be to God, those of us who are here in this room have found the risen Savior, and His name is Jesus. And we embraced Him, and we loved Him, because He loved us so much that He died, because we came to understand, hey, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And I know that someday I will lay on that bed that we call our deathbed, and I'll draw my last breath, and then I have to sit before God. And then I have to answer to Him for what I have done or haven't done. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that His blood covers all of our stuff. 
And in spite of our freakness, our, our, our freakness, is that a word? That is a word. In spite of our freakiness and our weirdness and our abnormalities and our schizophrenia and all of the other crazy things in the world that make us do the crazy, off-the-wall, even sinful things that we do, guess what? Guess what? Jesus' blood covers us. And just as God, who is the eternal judge, is about to raise and lower the gavel, guilty, Jesus stands up before the Father and says, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, I got this one. He's one of mine. She's one of mine. And I shed my blood on the cross for her and for him. And then Jesus says, Welcome in, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. See, that's a message that people might want to hear. So can you remember who you are? You're a child of God. With all your mess-ups, you're still a child of God. Because we stand in the cleansing blood of Jesus every day. And we need to share that message. As a church... We need to share that message and remember what we were like 30, 40, 50 years ago and rekindle those fires in conversation with those who are around us. This morning we're going to sing a song to invite you to make a decision to live your life in a way that is a little better than yesterday or this morning or the day before. And we invite you to recommit yourself to Jesus. We'll have elders here in the front that will receive you. We'll have some elders in the back with their wives if you want to talk with them. If you have a need for prayer, please let us know what that is. Or if you're a person here this morning who's never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you would like to experience that joy and that peace that passes all understanding, we have this thing called a baptistry that's ready. And I'll tell you a secret. It's really a watery grave. And before you go into that thing, you've got to be ready to die. You have to die to yourself because when you come out of there, you're not your own anymore. You belong to Jesus. And now your life is one where you live it for him and bringing glory and honor to him in all that you do. Whether in word or deed, whatever you say, do it in the name of Jesus. We can help you in any way. Come, let's, let's stand and sing. Skeeter, come and lead us. On bended knee I come with a humble heart I come, bowing down before your holy throne, lifting holy hands to you as I pledge my love anew. I Bowing down.